Yeah. Are you checking my levels? Yes. Is that the word? Yes, that's what I'm doing. Welcome to Geeks Without God with Nick Glover, Tim Wick, and Molly Glover. We're geeks, we're geeks, we're geeks without God. We're geeks, we're geeks, we're geeks without God. We don't recognize moral authority. We don't accept divine superiority. We're geeks, geeks without God. This week on Geeks Without God, our guest is Amanda Greenheart from AFSME 3800. We're going to talk to her about unions and the recent teacher strike here in Minneapolis. We're geeks, we're geeks, we're geeks without God. We're geeks, we're geeks, we're geeks without God. We're geeks, geeks without God. Hi, welcome to Geeks Without God. I'm your host, Nick Glover. I'm joined, as always, by my co-hosts, Molly Glover. It's me, Molly Glover. And Tim Wick. Workers Unite. (laughs) And today we have our guest, uh, Amanda Greenheart. She is here to talk to us about unions, which is a very uh, topical topic for this day and age. It is, especially in this place where we are right now. In the Twin Cities. Minneapolis. Yeah. Yeah. Hi, Amanda. (laughs) Greetings. Uh, we so for folks that don't know the some of the context for this situation, uh, just this week the uh, Minneapolis Teachers Union came to an agreement with the district, but it, it, they had been on strike for it was like three weeks, was like, wasn't it? It was it was a uh, more than a week for I'm sure. Say fourteen days, but I could I have to go back and look. <laughs> and, and we should say this is of the time of recording. This is of yeah. the time of recording. It's March twenty ninth, right. everybody. Yeah. So, um, you know, in a, in a general sense, Molly and Tim and I are, are you know, pro, pro-union, pro-labor, but we don't feel like we had any experience or authority to speak with. So uh, that's why we have Amanda. Yay. So you brought me and I know enough to know that I don't know enough, but I will try <laughs> to add some, some clarity. And I very, very much geek out about unions. So mm-hmm. I will be full of about it. That's perfect. That's kind of our wheelhouse. So um, for folks that might not be familiar with what unions are, just in a general sense, can you talk about what what unions are and what they provide or offer? A union is a group of workers that come together to collectively bargain so that they can get more than you can as an individual. Yeah. Perfect. Um, I I know that... um, Minnesota has a history of of some you know pretty notable unions historically like the uh, in the iron range and, and things like that like there's a lot of um, I have like iron range punk friends that talk about like union busting in the iron range and stuff like that that like their grandparents have crazy stories about <laughs> about Pinkertons coming in and that sort of thing oh, for sure it's a little bit more sin- more uh, it's a little bit less violent now, but still pretty sinister, <laughs> I would guess you could say. Yeah, it's true. We have a, um, a fellow who works at, for Council 5 who often talks about when he goes to labor uh, meetings that are um, bigger than the U.S. I feel like if he goes abroad and meets with other labor organizers, they're like, so how do you start negotiating? Do you steal the manager's car? <laughs> 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 Like, uh, we don't we don't do that we're, <laughs> we're gentle we just you know make a list of uh, proposals and there's no there's no kidnapping involved. <laughs> wow but it's not you know it's like there's there's definitely some 
agro behavior that happens in more labor friendly areas. Mm -hmm. Sure. Sure. And, and, um, the concept of, you know, the, the bosses need us more than, than we need them. Sort of a, a thing I've always heard as an adage. Which is kind of an, I mean, that is a more modern concept. I mean, if you think about it in terms of the history of labor, right, that is something that is, that has, and honestly, I even, I know people now who I don't think realize that, that your job needs you more than you need your job. And because that is not the way that it is pitched to you in, in, in a capitalist society, but particularly in an American society, we are kind of ingrained to think that we are lucky to be gifted a job by the benevolent corporation who agrees to employ us. And it's very hard to break out of that thought that because we all, I mean, unless you have independent wealth, you need to work to survive in this country. Mm -hmm. Like almost everyone is paycheck to paycheck. Mm -hmm. And uh, capitalism tells us that our only value is being productive. Mm -hmm. And so there's just certain classes of people who are, are not able to work to the level that capitalism wants us to. Uh, it's just, it's infuriating. When but I, when I first started getting some of that power back. Yeah. When I first started at FFG, I was still on disability uh, for bipolar disorder and I was working to get off it, but I had a coworker who uh, railed about people on disability benefits and people on social security and how they were all lazy and none of them were working and they were all just happy to sit at home and be disabled and not ever work again. And I just sat there just like, uh-huh, uh-huh. And then finally I was like, I'm on disability. And he was like, what? No. I'm not going to guess that loud. Yeah, I bet you could guess. I bet you could guess, but we'll, uh, we'll move on from that. I bet we all, sorry, I, I, I wanted to back up just for a moment because uh, we should establish, uh, Amanda, you do work for a union, is that correct? I work for the University of Minnesota. Okay. I volunteer, basically, as the treasurer for our local. Mm. Okay. So you're the treasurer of, of AFSME? AFSME 3800, which is under Council 5, which is under AFSME. And what does your union cover? I know they're very, they get very specific, or at least that's what I've been led to believe, is they, they cover very specific uh, types of work. We are the clerical part of AFSCME, um, and I'm in the clerical part of, of the, let's see, what, 3,800 is clerical workers. We, there's also at the University of Minnesota other labor-supported workers, so there's Ask Me 3937. I think they're technical workers. Hmm. And there's also healthcare workers that are covered under Ask Me. We like to all bargain at the same time for more strength hmm. and try to make sure that we're all supporting each other so that um, when the university says, oh, we don't have enough money to give everybody raises this year except for the president for some reason, so much money, <laughs> but not for like, you guys were just not able to, then we can say, so we've had healthcare workers working frontline work this whole pandemic, and you're not going to give them anything. And they're like, well, you're clerical workers. So why do you care? And we're like, because solidarity. Mm-hmm. Goddamn right. Because there's, you have, uh, workers have more in common with each other, regardless of what their discipline or skill set are than, the people that they're bargaining against. For sure. 
What does ask me? So much more money. I'm sorry. <laughs> the other side of the table, and because I've been in two negotiations uh, at the U so far, and sometimes we get the numbers about what um, people across the table are making salary-wise versus what we are, and we're like, holy crap! <laughs> oh, I would like both, just please. Yeah. Right. <laughs> what does ask me stand for? It stands for American Federation of State, County, and Municipal Employees. Hmm. Hmm. Can you talk a little bit about what some of the uh, collective rights your union bargains for for you are? Oh, sure. So what what's really fun uh, before we start negotiating is that our particular, you know, our local and and we also like since we're we're bargaining with also the technical and the healthcare workers, we do listening sessions to talk to our members and say, what are the things that are important to us right now? What are we struggling with? Uh, so this last bargaining round, the big issue was, why can't we work remotely hmm. when our jobs, if we have a job that, that can work remotely? I personally am not. I work at a front desk and that's part of my job duties mm-hmm. and I can't really do that remotely. I've tried. <laughs> I was like, what about if we have robots? <laughs> what about if I put screen at the front desk yeah. and it has me zoom? Like an iPod or an iPad, right. an iPad on a, on a stick. Yeah. On a Roomba. And then I can just like clean the floor and talk to people. It would be good. Anyway, I got off track. So, <laughs> so what issues that are really concerning us right now and um we do that in multiple ways so that we can make sure we get the most input from not just members but everyone who's labor supported because there are lots of people who are members and labor lots of people who are labor supported but aren't paying dues Hmm. we also represent them also care for them because you know rising tide lifts all boats so we try to take care of everybody even if they're not paying dues, which makes me crazy, we still love them. So, so we ask everybody, what are, what's going on? We get, we compile that information so that we're making good choices for everyone. And then we bring those, we turn that into proposal language and bring that to the negotiations to say, this is what we need right now. Did that answer your question? Yeah, I did. Thank you. <laughs> I know. Um, so I have a, th- I have a theater degree, and in my last year of theater school, we had a class that was like a a two-day workshop where we were supposed to talk and learn about the ins and outs of joining uh, different unions, uh, SAG, uh, and I think there's one other one that I can't think of, but uh, basically just like, do you want to be union or non-union? Because if you are union, you can only get union jobs, and if you are non-union, you cannot get union jobs, and we had this whole two-day seminar about the about which you should do and whether or not you should join and I just remember coming away from that feeling like the the theater union felt it didn't feel like other unions because my my family's always been very pro-union my grandfather um you know he started in, you know, as a factory worker and you know worked his way up to being not a factory worker but you know still felt very passionate about workers rights and so we were always very pro union in my household despite my family being very republican and grossly uh-huh. conservative so it was like the anomaly but the the theater union and i don't know if tim had you've had any experience with this it's equity, equity. Yeah. yeah if 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 either of these two unions if they, they didn't feel the same as laborer unions, it felt more like a club. 
mm-hmm. that you were joining to either get jobs or not get jobs. And this was 1996, so it's entirely possible that Tim has a different experience for me because you graduated about 10 years before me, I think. Uh, yeah. Um, did you have any, what, what was your, you have also I've, a theater I've, degree. What yeah, was your I mean, experience I've never, I've never been a part of equity. Yeah, I've worked with people who are a part of equity. The, the, there are jobs that you can only get if you are equity. Mm-hmm. They are better paying jobs. Mm-hmm. They are also more tightly contested. Of course. Uh, than jobs that are not equity. If you are equity, it can be very difficult to perform in shows and to do things that are done by non-equity performers. Uh, An example, friend of the show, Charles Hubble, Mm -hmm. is an equity actor, and I have cast him in some radio plays that I've done. And he can do those. What I could not do was advertise he was in them. Interesting. Um, And and like if... if, uh, you're doing a say a fringe show. Mm-hmm. Charles has been in some fringe shows, and what has what says is that they're a member of Actors Equity, and you have to say that they're a member of mm-hmm. Actors Equity. I believe there's only a certain amount, either of time or of shows, that mm-hmm. an Equity member can do outside of Equity shows. Equity shows, sure. which can be a real problem for somebody who's involved in Equity. And Equity covers actors there's also stage managers i believe that there is a i'm not sure the directors have their have have a union mm-hmm. but uh it doesn't cover writers <laughs> um but wasn't uh, there a writers union strike though there I mean, was they? but that was the screen actors screen the screenwriters actor, screen the screenwriters got it got it so you know playwrights no they don't have a okay. there's, there's no playwright there's I, I understand that it's the, you don't want to devalue your labor, mm-hmm. right? You have a you've set a cost or an expectation for what you're worth, and if you're giving away that labor at a lower cost, you are kind of, you know, like yeah. like Amanda said, a, a rising tide lifts all boats. Mm-hmm. You are a little bit to a very minor the, degree the lowering the tide. The difference with equity is. The places you are performing are either equity houses or they are not. So it is collectively bargained in a weird kind of way. So there are good things about the equity union and there are bad things about the equity union, but they are very different than the kind of union that Amanda's involved in. And that's what made me, it felt more like a club than an actual labor union to me. Amanda, when you have new employees, I know you said that a a lot of your employees are not paying dues. Uh, So if someone someone gets hired, uh, let's say they get hired to do a new job, are they presented with? Is there like a day in their in their first few days where they are presented with the option to join the union or not? Or is is it something where it's presented to employees every year if they want to join up? Or how often are people allowed to join? For us, we have two right now two organizers, and they are paid by our local. Mm-hmm. And the organizers they do you know tons of stuff. Our our particular organizers really helped with the. The teacher strike, volunteering over with them, uh, and which was very exciting. But uh, they they reach out to new employees and say, "You're already labor supported. Here's some things about our union. Um, you can sign the card." Um, one great thing about Ask Me Thirty Eight Hundred is we have progressive dues, which means people who make more money pay more dues. People who make less nice. don't. Nice. And so. We can present that and say, you know, it's it's going to be a percentage of your wage. It's certainly, I don't I don't feel like it's a lot. It's it's about what I pay for dental insurance for me. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. The cheaper of the insurances. Yes, yes. So <laughs> Who needs I, uh, teeth? <laughs> I, 
but so we, we reach out to them. We also try to make sure they know about their wine garden rights and that if, if they get pulled into a meeting with um, their supervisor or HR and they think that things are going to turn disciplinary or that their um, fundamental nature of their job is going to be changed or they're just very nervous about it. And you can usually tell when something's not right with mm-hmm. the meeting, right? Oh, yeah. So, uh, so they, they you and you can say, I need to stop this meeting. I need to have a union representative with me before I'll continue the meeting. These are my wine garden rights. I love wine garden rights. And so those those are for even people who are just labor supported who haven't signed the card. That's right. And Excellent. And the steward can help you get through that process and make sure that no one's violating your contract. Make sure that the manager's not being like a big old bully. That sort of thing. That like I I feel like. So many, like every job I've ever had, right? I'm an uh, IT network engineer. Every job I've ever had, the duties I have when I'm hired compared to the duties I have years later when I'm leaving, whatever, Mm -hmm. there's been such a a dramatic scope creep in terms of what I'm responsible for, what I'm doing, and that sort of thing. Just like I have often thought like, man, like this wasn't in my job description and now you're adding on to this and I'm not getting paid for this. Like this isn't, I'm not suddenly getting two incomes for the second job I'm working. <laughs> I've, I've often thought like, man, I really wish I had some way to say, actually, no, n- I'm not going to do this extra thing. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like, I like, I feel like, like if I'm working at Everyone, I feel like, sympathizes with that, mm-hmm. right? To some degree or another. I think um, I would be interested to hear your take. You know, right now, I would say unions are under assault in in the United States, especially. Uh, we talked a little bit before we started, like in two thousand one, after the after the September eleventh attacks. The airlines use that as an opportunity to greatly weaken the flight attendant and and uh, pilots unions by basically saying, well, you need to take all these pay cuts because our industry nearly died because people flew planes into mm-hmm. the World Trade Centers and they've really never regained their their wages from from that from that moment. We've seen uh, we've seen uh, the auto workers unions be greatly greatly weakened as uh, the big three automakers in Detroit have moved more and more of their manufacturing out of the United States and then use that to pressure the auto workers union into again, taking, taking pay cuts and benefit cuts in order to be able to keep jobs in the U S we've seen a lot of negative information about Unions spread by companies like Walmart and, and mm-hmm. you know, Starbucks. actively, actively campaigning against the idea of unionization, which to me, any corporation that actively campaigns against unionization, if I'm an employee, I should be like, wow, why is this a bad deal for them and a good deal for me? Because mm-hmm. I don't feel like they'd bring it be bringing it up if it was a good, if it wasn't a bad deal for them. Yeah. Um, and it, how do you feel about that and, and, and what are unions doing to to counteract that? Because it, it feels just pervasive in our culture, this anti-union mentality. There is there is a lot of anti-union mentality and and 
I was really upset during the Janice versus Aspie um, suit uh, because that was like we had we had the right as a union to have like a minimum amount of dues that we could take um, for everybody who was labor supported and Janice who um, uh, like he he was probably paid by an anti-union group mm. to bring this suit forward. He he said, I don't want to pay those bare minimum amounts. I I don't want it to look like I'm paying dues. I just want the benefits of the union without <laughs> contributing. And it felt like a big blow. And like certainly um, suddenly people who were sort of like passive about union membership, like didn't didn't care a whole lot, aren't really involved, but were paying that minimum amount, um, suddenly didn't have to anymore. And mm. for, um, for the university, I think they just, I don't think that, I don't think people had to request to have it dropped. Hmm. I think we had to request to have it, to still be paying members. Oh, geez. Wow. But, but it was, that was like us, that was a blow. Right. And then, and then to hear about um, union busting efforts, you know, all over the place. Um, there's also like the videos that they show in certain um, certain jobs. They'll sh- they'll sit you down and make you watch this video, which John Oliver did a hilarious send up of. Yeah, I it was the thing <laughs> because I had seen those. Like it, it was spot on. But um, oh, and oh, and the flyers that you'd see at places that would say. Um, don't pay your union dues. Buy yourself an Xbox. Yeah. <laughs> yep. You know, that box is going to protect you from bullying bosses later. <laughs> when I lived in Chicago, I was uh, I was a server and there was a, a push to unionize or to join the uh, restaurant and hospitality workers unions at uh, the restaurant I was at um, because somebody got hired and they came from a restaurant where they were and they were in the union and they were trying to get those of us to join and they got fired right away just right away uh, mm-hmm. and and they were they were uh, we were told they were fired for being high on the job which was like <laughs> hilarious because it was just like Okay, I mean the manager's high all the time, but sure, okay. And and then and then all of a sudden there were there were there were posters that were like the restaurant and hospitality's workers union is not a real labor union. And the the, the boss I remember saying to us like, I am pro union, actual labor unions for laborers, people who are electricians or who are like you know they they they're they're pipe fitters, they're plumbers, they're Trade doing unions. they're doing real labor. You guys are servers. And it was like, you're not labor. This isn't labor. If you think this job is work, you should go try doing some real labor. Oh, yeah? And, you wait tables well, for 12 hours. And so, But for most of us, we all thought he, I mean, I remember thinking, I mean, I was like 24 and I was like, yeah, that's actually true. This is not a hard job. You know, like this is, I'm just a, I'm just a server. Like this isn't, I don't feel like I'm doing a lot of labor. I'm not, you know, working on an oil rig. I'm not risking electrocution. I was, it turned out, because they didn't have half their outlets grounded. But like, you know, it it's it's funny how they can really, especially since a lot of people in jobs that are uh, wage-based jobs are young, and you are really just listening to this authority figure tell you what's what. And this is also somebody who controls your income. 
So like, of course, when the person who said unions are cool just got fired and this is the highest paying of my three jobs, I'm like, sounds good, boss. No unions here. Like, you got it. Like, you're right. I'm just a dumbass server. I'm a glorified computer. I'm, I'm great. And it was really frustrating. In hindsight, we should have we should have organized. You know, we very much could have joined that union and it would have been much better for us because at the time, Chicago didn't have a minimum wage for tipped employees. Uh, I was only making $2 an hour in addition to uh. my tips, even though the federal minimum wage was seven twenty-five or six something. It was, I, my, my wage was $2 an hour and my credit card tips came out of it. So I was uh-huh. getting, I was getting 80 hour a week checks that amounted to like 60 bucks. It Oof. was pretty nuts. It was, it was pretty nuts. <laughs> something that gives me a lot of hope though is watching uh, unions Forming at Starbucks's, yeah, half price books. Our Starbucks. Um, <laughs> no, it's so great. So I think that that it has been, it was in a downswing, but I think actually we are coming out of that. We're getting to a point where people are recognizing. I can't just, I can't just argue with my employer. Work really hard. Expect them to just recognize me for my work. They don't want to pay more. <laughs> Yeah. They don't want to benefits. Everything is expensive and difficult, but they're making record profits mm-hmm. and my labor is important. And there's not like some labor that's more important than other labor. These things have to happen. Mm-hmm. And it's just it makes me really hopeful. I think I think we're getting to a better place. Yeah, the great resignation, the labor movement right yeah. now is huge. Anti uh anti work. On the subreddit, yeah. yes. Yeah, it's it's been interesting to see. I uh, I, I literally have had uh, IT jobs for huge, you know, like Ma- Baby Bell spinoffs from Ma Bell, you know, multi-billion dollar telecommunications companies who at their big annual or quarterly review would be like, we're doing great. We're making money hand over fist. We're Record recession profits. proof. Record profits. We're doing so great. Now, in order to keep that trend going, we're going to have to make some cutbacks. So we're not going to be able to do raises this year. We need you to tighten your belts. We need we're to a tighten family. Everyone. We're, you know, everyone's got to make some sacrifices. Yep. It's just like so fucking insulting. We're a family here at Mega Belcor. And as you know, at Mega Belcor, the employers are shadowy CEOs at the top who own yeah. six boats and they need a seventh. <laughs> it's, uh, I, my, my coworkers and I in our like little private chats during these the quarterly you know stockholder announcements and stuff from our president and vice president now uh we have taken to every time someone's speaking we look up how much their title makes on glassdoor (laughs) and start posting that person's wage in our private employee chat just to be like oh hey janice makes 2.5 million dollars a year and last year she made $49 $49 million in bonuses. Cool. So just keep that in mind as she talks here. And just like we've just started doing that for fun. Yeah. And their work is not more important. No. And it's just maddening. Yeah. When I when I had a corporate job, uh, one of the things that always bothered me is the least valued person in the, in the building was the janitors. Yep. And I'm like, how about we not have them for a week? 
Yeah, right. How about how about right. how about we all have to empty our own goddamn garbage mm-hmm. for a week? Let's see how that goes. Let's see how how soon everybody's like, where the fuck are the janitors? My- my oh, this- company did do that. They laid off the person who was in charge of that. And then guess whose job it was? It was me <laughs> and yeah. my boss because it was my boss's job. And I felt bad. So I helped in. And that's the thing is there's always somebody who's going to pitch in. Right. And it Un- just until oh, it, it, unless somebody doesn't. I know. I know. I got to be better about that. <laughs> I can't honestly like I am the kind of person who gets exploited by by corporations 100% because I I have a, an appeal to authority issue. I genuinely want I I want to help. I like to help. I like doing menial tasks. And so I always end up being the one who gets not I, I mean I don't want to say tricked cuz I know what I'm doing, but you know when my when my regional manager and my district my store manager quit at Trade Secret, I started doing the schedule because otherwise we weren't going to have a schedule. And and I didn't get paid anymore and it's yeah. I it's I am exactly the kind of person they take advantage of and it sucks to be there. Oh, they totally know. They find the people who care. Mm-hmm. And then bring them, like dishwater. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like yeah. they'll, give, they'll give and give. So we shall take and take. Yeah. It, and it causes burnout. Like those people eventually burn out and then they don't have that person. Like, and then Yeah, like Tim. I mean, you you left the corporate world. You yeah, were just I like, I mean, it. seriously, like I can't do it anymore. So the the teacher strike that just ended uh now in, in Minneapolis. Um the I, sorry. Mm-hmm. Twenty fifth. Uh, oh, it did actually end. Okay. Twenty fifth. I uh, I know you know like superficially, I've been following and reading about it, you know, on local social media, Reddit, that sort of thing. But um, do you do you know some of the things that the teachers were bargaining for, or what they were asking for, and what what prompted or led to the strike? I imagine the pandemic played a, a part in this. Yes, I'm. There was definitely some pandemic factors. They. Uh, Minneapolis made, I think, uh, $10,000 less a year than the same position in St. Paul. <laughs> uh, I'd have to look that up again. There's there's two, um, there's teachers and there's ESPs, and the mm-hmm. ESPs were not making a living wage in many cases. Um, so something great that they won was that um, they will make a living wage. Hooray. Yeah. <laughs> it feels like that's uh, what anybody who has a job should be able to do. Yeah, right. Wouldn't that be great? Ideally, um, you don't have to work, you know, three jobs. Uh, they, I had looked it up earlier because um, there had been um, a lot of people upset that um, immediately upon getting the tentative agreement with the negotiating team, uh, Minneapolis schools sent out a message saying school will be back on Monday. Yeah. yeah. And the problem with it, like it takes time to get all the members to vote. Yeah. They hadn't even, they hadn't even put it to a vote yet was my understanding when that message right. went out. <laughs> um, but so I was looking it up to see like, how did that, how did that come to pass? But it was like, uh, there was an agreement that the strike would end, but that there would be a transition day on Monday mm-hmm. and then they would return on Tuesday. Um, and I think that the, the um, school system, uh, school board, whatever, whoever sent out the message just got a little overly excited hmm. about, about it and didn't think about how teachers actually do 
so much unpaid labor hmm. that they, they are going to need to spend time going into their offices and getting their computers and getting everything set up with their, you know, things that they pay out of pocket for each class. And yeah, it's wild. So uh, have you guys been watching Abbott Elementary? It's so good. <laughs> anyway. No. Um, have you been watching what? Abbott Elementary is is a new show that we Jaffer and I've been watching, which is about an elementary school. And it really shines a light on a lot of these things where teachers just don't well, have resources. Yeah. And, where is that located? Where can you see that? Uh, I think it's on Peacock. Okay, okay. so NBC, yeah. yeah. Okay. Awesome. Um, yeah. So, so they, they were looking for um, supports for the teachers, um, caps that were more reasonable for class sizes. Mm-hmm. And uh, mental health um, services uh, workers in the buildings. I think those were like the big things. And then also what money. Basically so that paras and ESPs weren't expected to do the work of mental health professionals when they don't have mental health degrees necessarily. Uh, and, and when kids are experiencing, you know, if not, if not full-blown crisis, but just, you know, troubles during the day, they need to be able to go to someone and talk to somebody. Yeah, that's my understanding. It sounds like every single thing you named is a thing that also, you know, purely coincidentally also contributes to a better learning environment and, <laughs> yes. and like a better education for Hold students. Hold on. Hold on, Nick. Are you saying these teachers care about kids? Get the <laughs> fuck out of here. <laughs> right? Like it, 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 a very cynical person could say like, oh, all they want is more money and smaller class sizes for less work. But it's like. But smaller, even if that's true, smaller class sizes is proven to, you know, a teacher can have more attention per student, more time per student. They get a better quality education. Like, even if you're completely cynical, you can't deny that all these things also make a better education for for students. Yeah, although you don't want to underestimate people's ability to be really cynical and fail to (laughs) see facts. For sure. Yeah, well... My, Welcome to America. <laughs> my my uh my now ritzy private school, which at the time was a hippie private school when I went there, was founded on the idea that class sizes shouldn't be more than twenty kids per teacher, yeah. and that was the whole point was that that we are going to have a school where the class sizes are limited to twenty kids per teacher. There were only forty kids per grade because they could only have two teachers per grade, and so it was very it was a big shock for me to learn about um, regular public schools. <laughs> and my brother and sister, my both my brothers and my sister graduated from public schools and we went to their graduations and it was like, oh, they're, oh, you know, freshman year, we started out with 2,800 kids yeah. and 900 of them made it to graduation. And I'm like, what? <laughs> like, yeah, be we, proud. We had a requirement. Like we, yeah. I mean, there are forty nine kids in my grade, right? So oh, it's just geez. such a such a difference, and that's like a class that's less than a class for yeah. for a lot of public schools, and just Sometimes. that that difference is it. It really does. It really makes a difference having yeah. that attention. I um, and you may not be able to speak to this much because it's it's the teachers' union, but uh, Minneapolis teachers and St. Paul teachers were both getting ready to go on strike at the same time. And those, I believe Minneapolis and St. Paul are the two largest school districts in the state. And they were striking for basically the same things. Their demands were almost identical. And the St. Paul teachers reached an agreement on the eve of the strike. They didn't end up going on the strike. And as far as I saw communicated from the union, they got pretty much everything they were asking for. Maybe not quite at the levels that they hope for because that's how a negotiation goes. Right. 
And then Minneapolis went on strike for 14 days, effectively 14 working days, which is effectively three weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, do you do, do you think that the St. Paul teachers settling before the strike put the Minneapolis teachers in a stronger position to be able to to strike longer and really hold out for getting what something close to what the St. Paul teachers had already gotten? I don't, I think that St. Paul was able to settle because St. Paul striked. St. Paul went on strike uh, during like last year. Oh yeah. So, so the um, negotiation team for management knew that they had a strike threat and Mm -hmm. they were like, Oh, we've got to, we've got to actually move on these things. We can't, we can't just mess around. Ed Graff and his um, folks <laughs> were like, you guys are not going to strike. Like, it's cold I, outside. What are you going to do? Be outside? You care You <laughs> care about the students too much to have them not be in class for three weeks. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it would have been really transform- transformative if both unions had gone on strike at the same time. And very exciting because they they would have worked together in solidarity so much. Um, but St. Paul just didn't have to because they had striked before. And it really, it really makes all the difference if your management knows that it, that you're serious, that you have a strike threat, and then they need to come to the table with reasonable, you know, ideas. Yeah. Real quick, I just want to mention that here in Minneapolis, in Minnesota, uh, we have a, I don't know if this is a national chain, but we have a company called Half Price Books that is a used and new bookstore. And they did just recently organize three of their locations and are, I just, I, I supported them. So I've been getting texts. I got a text today that was like, we have exciting news about our organization. And, you know, and like, you know, like Union Strong, Half Price Books, which is great because I love going there and I was going to be so sad if I couldn't go there anymore. So it's, it's, uh, yeah, it is, it is possible. It is successful. If you're listening to this and you're on the fence about your company, because your company's thinking of, you know, the people at your work are thinking of unionizing like you have power go for it like you can do this that's the like we were talking about starbucks earlier the starbucks is just a block and a half from us came up in the news recently as one of the starbucks that's going to organize and so when molly and i heard that we swung through and we're going through the drive through and we're like hey you know we heard you folks are might be organizing and the the, per, the person kind of goes uh one second <laughs> And then they came back and they're like, ah, oh, we're not really, we're not, I can't really uh, answer that. <laughs> I can't that. talk about that. <laughs> and we're like, no, no, it, uh, awesome. We totally understand. Like here, you know, b- big tip, like solidarity. Hey, solidarity, good luck. But like, it was, it was interesting it's so to see. so in mystery. Their first response was like, well, maybe I can't talk about that because how we might react or because we might be a union buster or because of whatever. Or just in general, they're just not talking about it right now. But like if you're in a labor position and you have to be scared of asking for what's fair, I think that should set up, set up alarm bells for everyone. That's <laughs> really pretty fucked up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, really should. Uh, this is. Pizza. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's a big 
pizza party. That pizza party meme of the high five and the hands sinking in the water is forever <laughs> etched into my brain for sure. All right. Uh, Amanda, this has been great. We're going to switch to five questions real quick. We uh, sent you our five Five questions. questions. Five questions. Our new five questions. I think you are our first guest to get to. I think you're right. Ah, yeah. You're the first guest that gets to answer our new five questions. (laughs) That was my cherry popping. (laughs) That was great. It's I just you know you gotta bring the rock. <laughs> it's fantastic. So Tim, do you want to kick off with number one? I'd be happy to kick off with number one, but I didn't realize I was doing it. So give me a sec to just take a look at it here with my glasses that need to be uh, Tim's renewed. old. Yeah, it is. What is a game you have played recently that you really enjoyed? So I love the tabletop game Wingspan. Yeah, uh, designed by Argus. I'm I'm obsessed with it. I'm terrible at it. <laughs> I just want to see all the pretty birds. And I don't care that I'm not winning. I just want the barred owl really bad. If somebody else takes the barred owl, I'm mad. Oh, yeah, the barred owl. I don't even know which one that is. But we, we play it all the time. We've got all the expansions. We call it we call it Birdemic, the, the board game, which is not at all accurate. But that's what I call it anyway. I'm right there with you. I also am very bad at many games and just want to play them and, and just want to see all the fun things inside them. <laughs> Yes. Oh, question two. What is a science fact or discovery you think is really fucking cool? Okay, so this is uh, a light a light veer because it's an an invention. Yeah, so that's sort of a discovery. That right? works. Yeah, so, sure. <laughs> I love uh, neuroprosthetics. Mm. I think it is very cool that we're starting to figure out ways to send electrical impulses into our bodies to to do something that is missing. So like uh, cochlear implants, for example, I think mm-hmm. the most commonly known one, uh, but there's also, um, they're starting to come up with ones for eyes and for the sense of touch and smell. And I think that's fascinating and I'm ready to become a cyborg. Like sign me up. Yeah. I yeah. Want everything our friend john just got a cochlear implant and it's changed his life it's been six months and he's able to hear music again and it's just insanely cool yeah electrical brain interface is just like like turning what your actual thoughts and and input output of your brain are into electrical input to interface with things is that's some star trek stuff make netrunner real that's like i don't know really fucking cool yeah Yeah, that's awesome it is all right, question three. Uh, where do your sense of right and wrong come from? Because it's, if it's not religion. So I am agnostic. And I think I think my sense of right and wrong was installed in me by my mother, who was always teaching me solidarity hmm. without saying, like she never said that word. She was, um, she was teaching me morality from the Bible. But the things that were important to her were about that rising tide lifting all boats and um, really understanding other people so you can build bridges between you and the other person and always knowing what was like uh, being like a hyper empath. Like, how is everybody feeling? Is everybody okay in this room? Maybe a little bit unhealthy um, (laughs) to be that worried about it, but it's definitely where right and wrong comes from for me. 
It sounds like like uh, pure Christianity, right? Like <laughs> actual, you know, the the sense of actually the good stuff. Yeah, the good stuff. <laughs> in the in the literature. Yeah. <laughs> uh, question number four: If you could build a robot to perfectly perform one chore or task for the rest of your life, what would you choose? Okay, so I am obsessed with the scrubbing bubbles from that commercial. Yes, and I just want. <laughs> infinite scrubbing bubbles in my house they it would just be cleaning but it, they could do everything it's like a and Roomba be, for everything yeah oh. but you know they have small they're so cute too with, and, and cute they have to have eyes <laughs> and they need like get in all the nooks and crannies like cleaning toilets is such a pain oh, like yeah. mm-hmm. why do we just to be full of crenulations and like it's gross so yeah. scrubbing bubbles oh yeah. my gosh I was obsessed with the scrubbing bubbles cartoons as a child. I thought they were so cool. It's I used so to misleading. Them it's just out a bottle of liquid. I know, and it's... sea monkeys don't wear clothes either, Nick. Yeah. I found that out to my chagrin. <laughs> Capitalism. <laughs> All right. Finally, question five. What is a movie or TV show you think everyone should watch? Okay, so I struggled with this one because I know a lot of people have different traumas, and I think that any... Any show that's a serious show is going to have something that might be a little bit difficult for a different person. Mm -hmm. This is, again, that hyper-empath thing that my mom taught me. Like, (laughs) what if they don't like it? (laughs) But um, I really love The Beforeners on HBO, um, which is a Finnish science fiction show about immigrants, but they're coming from different points in time. Oh. It's about the first time immigrant who's a viking viking chick she's amazing becoming a police officer so it's a little bit propaganda mm-hmm. but she is so amazing and because it's in finland uh their their police don't have the same sort of like immediate shoot yeah with people of color going on um and it's really fun to watch um and yeah, I like that one a lot. I think if you were trying to give something to someone that couldn't couldn't harm anybody, you would go for Pui Pui Molkar on mm. Netflix, which is about little animated hamsters that are cars. My my brother just <laughs> told us about this. He's like the the yes. guinea the guinea pig ambulances or something or like yeah. They make like they make little guinea pig noises and they're but they have wheels and they're like animated felt. And there's little plastic humans inside them sometimes. <laughs> Not always. Weird. That's so cute. That's adorable. That's awesome. Well, Amanda, but, but they, it was the Beforeners on HBO. The Beforeners. Beforeners. I remember seeing a trailer okay. for that and yeah. being like, that looks interesting. And then the deluge of. of and I options. agree. European propaganda is just different. Cops <laughs> <laughs> are just different. It's a different standard. <laughs> well, uh, Amanda Greenart, thank you so much for answering our five questions, being the first. That's great. And thank you for. Uh, your time talking to us about about unions, giving us a union perspective and uh, some experience to to speak from. We really appreciate your your time. Thank you so thank much. You. Yay, yeah, thank Amanda. you. And for everyone else, uh, we've been Geeks Without God. If you send us your answers to our five questions, you can send them to fivequestions at geekswithoutgod.com. If you include your address, we'd be happy to send you a sticker just as a, as a thank you for, for taking a moment to send us your, your thoughts. Uh, otherwise, you know, you can post comments on Facebook, respond to us on Twitter. And if you're, if you're feeling really uh, generous, you can support us on Patreon. That's uh, we, the recent uh, 
mixer that we just added in the last few episodes. That's paid for by our our patrons. Hit one of the buttons, Tim. Oh, here we go. Yeah. (laughs) That's you paid for that, patrons. That's that that rim shot goes out to yeah, oh, there they it is. Love it. They love it. Oh, they're so happy. The way, abru- the, way the applause abruptly cuts off is just inherently it, it would be nice if it could fade out. But yeah. no, I, don't. I love it. Yeah. I love it. All right. Uh, and to everyone else that's Talk listening, it. thank you so much, and we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. What do we want? Living wages. When do we want it? 50 years ago. <laughs> we're geeks, we're geeks, we're geeks without God. Until next time, you can find us blogging and listen to past podcasts at geekswithoutgod.com. And you can follow us on Twitter at geekswithoutgod. We're geeks, we're geeks, we're geeks without God. We're geeks, we're geeks, we're geeks without God. We're geeks, geeks without God. I want a slow clap button.